You know, this morning, I want to try to get something across. And it's one of those concepts that I'm assuming it's going to be hard to get across because it's been so hard to get across to me. It's been years and years in the making where this thing has been kind of coming out of the mist at me and, and kind of rearranging the way that I, I kind of look at the whole process. And I, I want to try to get this, this fundamental concept across. We've actually stated it here before, but it's kind of been a glancing blow. And I want to see if I can hit it on the head and uh, get it into your memory banks because it's going to take a while if you're like me. Even once that you get the concept and agree to it, it just takes some time before it actually gets down deep enough to do anything and change anything. But this is one of those central concepts that I think without this piece, it's just about impossible to get what Jesus is talking about when he talks about kingdom. It's impossible to get where he's going when he talks about the way because we're going to be digging in the wrong spot. And that's you know the best way that I can put it. The re orientation of where the red X is on our spiritual maps is basically what Jesus' ministry was all about. He was trying to get us to understand, you're digging in the wrong spot. You know, his first listeners in first century Judea and us in 21st century United States, we're, we're typically digging in the wrong spot. Kids do it naturally. That's why he kept holding up kids. But we're not kids anymore. You know, we want to get back to some of these places. So let's, let's, let's see what we can do with that kind of lead up and tease on you there. Last month, as, as uh, Frank was talking about, uh, we got a notice to vacate a month ago, 90 day notice to vacate. So I knew that the fuse was burning. And it's, this last month for me has been kind of an object lesson. Exactly what I'm talking about. You know, trying to get back to this idea of entering kingdom And to be hit, as I'm sure all of us have at one time or another, with kind of an existential threat to our either our way of life, our business, our our families, you know, sometimes even our life or the lives of others, it it kicks you in, you know. Now I'm not equating this to getting cancer or anything, but it was that that complete change. It's like suddenly after being here nine years, okay, we're not gonna be here anymore. And uh, a solution was presented alongside, but there were lots of hoops and lots of things that we need to run through. So in addition to just the shock to the system, it was kind of an avalanche of details and things that I needed to deal with. And I found that, you know, I, I, I did fairly well. I mean, it's not like I yelled at my wife or kicked the dog or anything. Well, I may have wanted to kick the dog a few times, but I didn't do it. Um, But at the same time, I could tell it was working me. You know, my sleep patterns were getting disrupted. I was having the wildest dreams. I mean, I I could have made movies out of some of these dreams. And and so I could tell that there was this thing that was kind of churning underneath. And I had to keep, I had to use all my Jedi mind tricks, you know. Everything that I've learned about kingdom, everything I've learned about the contemplative way on a daily basis to make sure that I kept coming back, that I kept coming to ground, that I didn't stay up in the anxiety, in the worry, in all the stuff. You know, your mind starts racing at times like this when everything is happening at once. And I know you know the feeling. I know you know what's going involved. And here's what was was, uh, coming back to me in really sharp relief is that no matter how evolved... 
I think I am or anybody thinks you are. You know, you're just one email away from losing it. Ever felt that way? I mean, it's just one piece of news can kind of tip you back and you find yourself back dealing with things and feeling things and, and, uh, you know, emoting things that you thought you had stuck a stake in the heart of a long, long time ago. But that's the way of it. I had a monk who taught me in high school and he said, any person is capable of the utmost folly at any given moment. If you forget that for just a moment, you're more prey to these things when they come at you from the sides where you're not expecting. So this whole experience and dealing with it my own, in my own way cemented this concept that has been growing in my awareness for some time right now. And that is that if the kingdom is now, and we've talked about this all over and over again, we talked about that Jesus' ministry is about redefining his notion of kingdom and the way to that kingdom, the way to father And the way he defined it over and over again was that it is now. It's not there then someplace. It's not going to be external to you coming from outside in. It is here. It is now. It is within. It's who you really are, covered over with a bunch of fearful stuff. But when we can walk this way of Jesus and we can strip all those things back off again, then the kingdom reasserts itself from within, from the inside out. So if the kingdom is now, if the kingdom is here, always now, always here, then the choice to enter kingdom is always now and always here and no place else. In other words, the kingdom is momentary. It's momentary. It only exists right now. Kind of like music, for as long as it's vibrating in the air, it exists. Kingdom exists now, and we're only going to access it now. Where are you right now? I mean, think about it. You're all sitting here. You're all looking at me. You look like you're paying attention. But where's your head really? You know? Are you thinking that that noise is way too loud over here, this gurgling? You know? Is, is, you know, are there going to be any bagels left by the time I get out the door? Um, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous, am I going to be able to pay my rent this month? You know, is that person who's, who promised me this, are they going to come through? You know, what's, what's going on with my spouse? What's going on with my kids? I mean, all of that stuff that's in there, legitimate stuff that's important. If you're thinking about it right now, then you're not here. And if you're not here where you are, your head where your feet are, then you're not in kingdom. Each choice presents as a choice to enter or not this kingdom that Jesus is trying to get across to us, which is the awareness of unity, the awareness of presence, the awareness of this connection that will be felt by you as a sense of okayness, that even if circumstances aren't what they need to be, that you want them to be, expect them to be, ought to be, you know, it's okay. If you're sitting here right now and there's no place else you would want to be, no one else you'd want to be with, then you're experiencing a contentment. It's okay to be here. I can just exhale. I can just relax. I can just be here. This is good. There's no place else I want to be. That's it. It's that kind of feeling. It's that kind of sensation. We think that 
living in kingdom or entering kingdom, as Jesus talks about it, is kind of like getting maybe, I don't know, a college degree. It's kind of like that. You work hard, you pay your dues, you study, you do everything you're supposed to do, and then you get this certificate that you get to hang on the wall. And it stays there for the rest of your life. It's yours. You earned it. You're entitled to it. Or maybe it's like getting a club membership to a very exclusive club. We get it. It's ours. Got to keep paying the dues, but it's ours. There's a switch that is flipped. It's on. But what I've been realizing more and more is that entering kingdom is more like attending a free concert at the park. It's like that. But the music is always playing. The concert is always going on. But I got to show up to the park if I want to hear the music. There's no dues. There's no admission fee. All I got to do is show up, put down my chair, and there I am. But that's what I need to do every moment. God's music is playing. The park is right there. All I have to do is come in and sit down and hear the music. And as soon as I get up and walk back out again, I'm not hearing the music anymore. And then I choose the next moment to come back in and sit down, and I'm hearing the music again. It's so different than I thought it was going to be. And I don't know how this is coming across to you. But it makes all the difference in the world. Because I'm not looking for a once-and-for-all solution. I'm not looking for anything that entitles me to be in kingdom. All I have to do in this moment right now is just land and just realize there is no place else I need to be. There's no place else I would want to be. Now, in 45 minutes or someplace else I need to be and want to be, right? But not right now. This is enough. This is more than enough. This is perfect if we just let it be perfect. I think so much this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. To be down, to be distracted, to be depressed is to be out of kingdom. And you know you're out of kingdom. Why? Because you're down and you're distracted and you're depressed. That's how we know. Now this isn't like telling someone who's depressed to snap out of it. Because I suffer from depression and I know you can't do that. But even if I can't snap out of my depression as this big block thing, what I can do is choose to be here now. I can choose that. I can do that. And it changes the moment. It doesn't change my clinical depression. It doesn't change, you know, the fact that I need to, if I needed to take meds that I was doing that or anything else that is going on in my life. But what it does do, it allows me to enter this moment. Example, Frank was talking about soak on Friday night. I'll tell you what, by Friday, after everything that's been going on in the month, I would have given a body part not to have to come to soak on Friday night. I was tired, my head was out to here, and I just wanted to go to bed and pull the covers over my head. You know? But I show up. I just showed up to the park to see if the music was playing, and guess what? It was. You know? <laughs> it was, it, you know, it's our last soak in this facility, and, and, uh, and there, was, there was a special buzz going on. There was an energy in the room. The food just kept pouring in the door. I didn't think we were ever going to be able to eat it, yet afterwards I went back to find some food and it was all gone. You know, there was just a connection here. This is the first time in this room, I think, in nine years that almost everybody was on their feet with their hands in the air. I just looked out and saw this forest of hands and arms. It was just the coolest thing. By the end of the evening, I had energy that I hadn't felt in a month, you know, because I showed up to the free concert in the park and I heard the music playing. 
Whatever I was feeling before in that moment was gone. Now I walk out that door and I go back home again and I can start to obsess over anything I want to. But I chose in that moment, that Friday, to be here, to be now. And in that space, it was kingdom. Pure and simple. You know what's helped me most, I think, in this last month of dealing with all the junk that I've been dealing with? It's been the California fall weather. I mean, has it been the most spectacular last couple of weeks? I mean, I'd be up at my desk doing whatever I'm doing up there and trying to think through all the details and sending emails, and then I'll just walk out and go out into that parking area there and just feel that warm sun on my face and the cool breeze that's blowing by. And I look up through the palm trees, over the red tile roofs to the San Juan, those rounded hills beyond, and the clouds that are kind of playing hide-and-seek with the sun. And it's just like, it doesn't get any better than this. We live in Disneyland, for crying out loud. It's just beautiful here. And in that moment, with the sun on my face, everything felt just fine again. It's going to be okay. I don't know how it's going to be okay, but in that moment, I wasn't even thinking about the how. It just felt good to be alive, good to be breathing. That was a kingdom moment. And then I can walk back up to my desk and do whatever I want to do. But if I choose, even sitting at my desk, doing tax forms, which I can't think of anything worse to do, I can still feel the sun on my face if I want to. That's my choice. It's not snapping out of a depression. It's just entering into a different space that holds everything else at bay, just clears the decks. You know? How does Paul put it? Let's take a look. Because if we can't find it in Paul and Jesus and Peter and John, then what are we talking about here? But take a look at Romans 12, starting at verse 1. And I forgot to uh, label these, but the, the first one is the NASB. That's the New American Standard Bible, which is a word-for-word, pretty much a word-for-word translation or as close as you can get from one language to another. And the second one is The Message by Eugene Peterson. And I wanted to contrast these because sometimes it's hard to see where Paul's going when he's translated directly from the Greek. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we read this, and it sounds... I don't know, it sounds kind of negative. You know, it sounds like he's constricting us and restricting us, and it all sounds very legal and perfectionistic even, if you will. But let's read the same passage in the message, and I think Peterson does a great job here of getting in between and underneath the language to, to the real heart of what Paul is talking about. Again, starting at verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Make a little more sense that way? Free translation, paraphrase. But you know, I think he's hitting the nail right on the head. What's he talking about here? How do we do this? He's talking about taking every moment, every task, everything that you find yourself doing, and offering it as this living sacrifice. In other words, see God in it. What are you going to go home and do after this? You know, you're going to work in the garden? Are you going to do some desk work? Are you just going to hang out with family? Are you going to watch a movie? Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. The details don't matter. What matters is that you do it with complete immersion. You immerse, immerse? You immerse into it. You find the connection in it. You see God supporting it, undergirding it, infusing it. What's this idea of a living sacrifice? You know what a sacrifice is? A sacrifice is taking something and dedicating it wholly to God, completely to God. Why did they burn a sacrifice? So it can't be used for anything else but what it was for. Can you take your moments, can we take all of our tasks and everything that we do all day long and wholly dedicate it, set it aside even? That doesn't mean that you're not fully focused on the task. It means that you see within and through and underneath the task this presence, that this glue, spiritual glue that's holding everything together, making everything possible and creating in you that sense of connection that will let you know that everything is okay. Everything is going to be okay, regardless of how it looks at the moment. That's what he's trying to tell us. It comes down to these kinds of moments. That's something we imagine way out here but right now, intimately tied to everything that we do. How did Jesus put it? Basically the same way. Take a look at Matthew 6, starting at verse 31. In the NASB, Don't worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what's he telling us? He's telling us the worry, the dissatisfaction, the anxiety, the future tripping. All of those are antithetical to kingdom. If you're engaged in that, then you're not in kingdom. You've stepped out of kingdom. You're not having a kingdom experience. And it's interesting that he brings up this Gentile business. So is this just that, you know, only Jews can do this and all us non-Jews can't? I mean, what's business with Gentile? You know. The interesting thing about that word is translated from an Aramaic phrase, Amad Alma, which means the, the, uh, the people of the world, most literally. But the way that it's used here, it meant someone who is not of your tribe. It was not of your group. And most importantly, it was someone who didn't know your ways, didn't know your God. A foreigner, right? Someone from the outside. So it's not so much non-Jews, it's anyone who doesn't know the ways of our God. 
And that includes us here. If we don't know the ways of our God, how in the world are we going to be able to abandon ourselves to a moment that looks risky, looks scary? You're not going to do it. But when you know who your God is, you know the principles by which our God operates, how our God brought everything into being and sustains it, and that we can tap into that connection, that flow, energy, by being present, then we can do what Jesus is talking about. We don't have to worry about these things. Even as we work for them, even as we strive for something better, for excellence, these are not mutually exclusive. But you've got to know who it is you're dealing with. I love Eddie. Is Eddie here? He always talked about, I need a God I can do business with. Remember? He was always saying that. He needs a God he can do business with. So do we. We absolutely need that. We need to know who it is we're doing business with. So what does that look like? You know, this idea of seeking first kingdom and God's righteousness. Something happens if we do that. What does it look like? Just take a look at the message again. Same passage. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To be not so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Get that? Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Steeping your life, that means coming to ground, becoming acutely aware of, present to this God reality, God initiative, God provision. But even this can still be misleading to us in our culture, really any culture, if we're to experience the sacredness of this kingdom moment, there's something we've got to do. We have to unlink the sacred from the significant. Unlink the sacred from the significant. That's going to be difficult for us as modern Westerners especially, but for anybody really. I always thought that meaning and purpose, I always thought that kingdom was sacred, and it is. And I always thought that the sacred was significant, and it is, all right? But here's the problem. My definition of significant is off. My definition of significant is tied to the extraordinary. My definition of significant is tied to the spectacular. I was always looking for that. You know, if God's going to provide for me, I want it to be spectacular, it's supposed to be that way because that's what sacred is all about. You ever hear the story of the two boats in the helicopter? Man on the roof and the flood's coming up and the, it's coming up to the roof and some boat comes by and says, come on, step in, I'll save you. No, God's going to save me. You know, another boat comes by. No, God's going to save me. Helicopter comes by. Come on, climb up the ladder. We'll save you. No, God's going to save me. Flood water comes up and he drowns. <laughs> He's standing before God. And he says, God, why didn't you save me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? We're looking for something spectacular and we miss the presence that is right here and right now. John got a little delayed reaction there. 
<laughs> I love the way that works. <laughs> we have to delink the sacred from the spectacular, from the from our idea of uh, significant, which means we have to delink our idea of significance from the extraordinary. Significance comes from a different direction. I spent my whole life doing this. I'm telling you. When I left high school and went into the monastery, I was looking for a spectacular way of serving God. I thought it needed to be in a black cassock with a Roman collar and, and you know, away and off from the normal rhythms of life. And when I left there, I went into music and I thought it was going to be through songwriting. You know? And even after I did manage to get a song on a Grammy-nominated album, you know, that moment passed just like any other moment and then you're back staring in the mirror at yourself. But I was looking for something spectacular. When my life came crashing down in my early 30s, I was looking for something that was supernatural or metaphysically extraordinary. I was looking for all these things. And then when I went back to the church, then I was looking to be in church leadership and to to grow the church and to do this and then finally to be a pastor and to do that and all these things. And then it was about writing. I'm going to write a book. Well, I did that. You know, I was always looking for the spectacular to clue me in that this was significant and therefore sacred. And it comes from a completely different direction. And this is the big piece that we need to try to get into our field of vision here so that we can start to understand where Jesus is trying to take us. See, now what I understand is that the sacred is always significant, but what is significant is not always sacred. They're two separate things. What really makes something sacred? Not our sense of significance, not our sense of of extraordinary, spectacular nature. What makes something sacred is not the content of any moment at all. It's immersion in the content. Immersion in the moment. It's our presence to it. True presence requires all the vulnerability that you can muster. To be truly present means you have dropped every defense. You've dropped every pretense. You have just opened up your coat, everything you are, to whatever is present to you. Because without doing that, we cannot connect. And if we are not connected, then we're not in kingdom. If we're not connected, we're feeling out on our own. We're feeling cosmic victims. We're feeling whatever we're feeling, but we are worrying and we are fearful and we have mental anxiety and we're future tripping or past regretting or whatever it is we're doing, but we're not here. We're not in what Jesus calls kingdom. The only way we can do this is when we just open up and feel that sunshine on our face and just allow it to be this moment. I don't need to be anywhere else. This is sufficient. This is enough. There's this childlike dependence that we move into, you know, that vulnerability, that wonder, all of those things that are present. Why were these qualities so important to Jesus? Why did he value them so highly? Read the Beatitudes, you know, the first few verses of Matthew 5, over and over and over again. These are the values. This is the picture of the person who is living in kingdom. Why would Jesus make that such a big deal? Because it's right, quote-unquote, because it's lawful, because it's Christ-like or God-like, because it's other-centered, because it's selfless. I mean, all those things are true, 
But is that why Jesus was making such a big deal about these qualities? No. He made a big deal about these qualities because he was describing the only position, the only perspective from which you could see God at all. That's it. If you want to see God, the only way you will do it is when you are vulnerable, when you have dropped your defense, when you see yourself as part of everything and everyone, not better, not worse, just equal, even, there. That's humility, the best definition you'll ever get of humility. That's what it's all about. We have to go to that position and perspective if we ever want to be present and see God. Any of you who have had small children, any of you who have babysat children, ever had a kid lose something of yours that was really important? Say your car keys, television remote, whatever it happens to be, right? They had it and it's gone. And where'd you put it? Well, I don't know. They can never tell you anything, right? How are you going to find that thing? You've got to get down on your hands and knees and crawl around the floor, get down to their level because they saw little crevices and places to put things that you will never see from five or six feet off the ground. You drop your point of view and you see what they saw and you can find those things. It works that way, you know? I remember the story from a movie where a big truck had gotten wedged under an overpass on a busy street and all the cars are backed up and you know all the emergency vehicles are there and they're frantically trying to get this truck out and a little boy looks over and says, hey, just let the air out of the tires. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes, right? Let the air out of the tires, the thing drops, back it out. It's that drop in perspective. Not up here looking for the spectacular, but coming down into your normal moments. Even if you feel they're so mundane, even if you feel that they're so unextraordinary as to be completely boring, insignificant, they're not. When you bring your attention, when you bring yourself to them, everything change, changes. Any distraction, any defensive or protected position is going to block your view of kingdom, of God's presence. And this is what try, is Jesus is trying to get across. It's that simple. These things separate us from God's presence, his action in our lives. And you know that that's sinful because separation is the sin. Not the behavior. The behavior is sinful if it leads to the separation. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't worry anymore. Don't go into those mental places because they're blocking your view of what's really here. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, it really helps to read things sometimes in another tradition. Because the other tradition may be seeing the same thing or trying to say the same thing, but they say it so differently that it just makes it alive. It comes up and smacks you in the head again the way Jesus' original sayings did to the people he was first talking to. We're too familiar with them sometimes. But I wanted to read a few things to you that come out of the Native American tradition. Don't be of interest to you, huh? And these quotes from, from Native Americans... See what they do for you. I put some of them in the, uh, in the bulletin so you can, you can kind of read along. This first one from Crowfoot, who was a Blackfoot tribal chief. This would be the 19th century, 1800s. He wrote, or said, What is life? It is a flash of a firefly in the night. It is a breath of a buffalo in the wintertime. 
It is as the little shadow that runs across the grass and loses itself in the sunset. Okay, you can just take that in as poetry, but listen to what he's really saying. Life is these things if we are present to them. Do you see what he's saying? You can't find any more life anywhere that you're looking except in the flash of a firefly, watching the steam come out of a buffalo's nostrils in the wintertime, watching the, the, the shadows move across the grass as the day progresses. To be present to that is life. You've got to be digging in the right spot here or you will miss it. This is where Jesus is trying to lock us down. It's here. It's now. Don't look out there. It's not coming. You're not going to see it that way. It's already here. It's in the flash of a firefly. It's in your very breath. Dan George from the uh, Slay Watooth tribe, one of the chiefs. This is 20th century. He writes, The beauty of the trees, the softness of the air, the fragrance of the grass, they speak to me. The summit of the mountain, the thunder of the sky, the rhythm of the sea speak to me. The faintness of the stars, the freshness of the morning, the dewdrops on the flower speak to me. The strength of the fire, the taste of the salmon, the trail of the sun, and the life that never goes away, they speak to me, and my heart soars. Immersion. Full immersion in everything, awareness, realizing the connection that we have to all these things, to kingdom. Dan George again. One thing to remember is to talk to the animals. <laughs> How many of you do that? If you do, they will talk back to you. But if you don't talk to the animals, they won't talk back to you. Then you won't understand. And when you don't understand, you will fear. And when you fear, you will destroy the animals. And if you destroy the animals, you will destroy yourself. Talk to the animals. We think, ah. Oh. Some of you probably talk to your dogs and your cats, right? Yeah. That's good. Because it's getting you into that place. Talk to the animals. They will talk back to you. In words, well, let me know how that works out for you in the connection that you feel to them, in the oneness that it takes you, when you suspend your disbelief, stop being such an egg-headed adult for just a second and talk to those finches, you know, that are lighting in your trees in the backyard. Say hello, you know. That's what Francis of Assisi was a genius at. You know, he talked to the animals. He preached to the animals and they gathered around him, as tradition says, and lighted on his shoulders he talked to the animals. He called himself God's jongleur, you know, God's clown. He, he didn't stand on, on dignity and stand on, on you know, the, 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 the type of person that most people thought clerics were supposed to be. He just immersed himself. Brother Sun, Sister Moon, Sister Death, everything that was life to him was related, was connected, and he lived that way. This last one you don't have. Just, just listen, because this one was, just really hit me. This is from Wahini, who is from the Hidatsa tribe. I am an old woman now. The buffaloes and black-tailed deer are gone, and our Indian ways are almost gone. Sometimes I find it hard to believe that I ever lived them. My little son grew up in the white man's school. 
He can read books and he owns cattle and has a farm. He is a leader among our Hidatsa people, helping teach them to follow the white man's road. He is kind to me. We no longer live in an earth lodge, but in a house with chimneys, and my son's wife cooks by a stove. But for me, I cannot forget the old ways. Often in summer, I rise at daybreak and steal out to the cornfields, and as I hoe the corn, I sing to it, as we did when I was young. No one cares for our corn songs anymore. Sometimes in the evening I sit, looking out on the big Missouri. The sun sets, the dusk steals over the water. In the shadows I see again to see our Indian village, with smoke curling upward from the earth lodges, and in the river's roar I hear the yells of the warriors and the laughter of little children of old. It is but an old woman's dream. Then I see but shadows and hear only the roar of the river and tears come into my eyes. Our Indian life, I know, is gone forever. But not in her, because she still sings to the corn. To talk to the animals? To sing to the corn? These are the beautiful markers of a culture that understood what it meant to be connected The First Nations of this continent, the the Native Americans, they were nomads. They didn't build cities. They didn't build monuments. They lived within nature, within the ecosystem. They left no trace as they moved from one place to another. They understood what it meant to be connected deeply, to be one with. They get what Jesus is talking about in a way that is so difficult for us as we still strive to be significant, to build things that we think matter when all that matters is to feel the warmth on your face of the sun in the fall and to know that you know that you know that everything is going to be okay. We need to find our own markers. We need to find our own way. Our culture is not giving them to us anymore. Ways for us as a people to connect to pass those corn songs down from one generation to another. It's not happening in our culture. What are we going to do as individuals to find a way to talk to the animals and sing to the corn in such a way that we can move into this space and know that we know that we know that something very significant and very sacred is taking place. And when our head is pulling us back out to the things that we think obviously we must do, we must build, we must accomplish to let it go and to come back and just sing to the corn again and find that centered place from which you can use as a launching pad to go wherever you need to go, but you'll know where home is. You'll know where kingdom is. And it will center you and it will calm you and it will guide you in a way that you can deal with all the storms of life as they hit you. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. If he were here right now, he would say, if you have ears, hear what I am telling you. Because this is truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Just just thank you. Help us to get small. 
before we try to grow large. Help us to start from that small center, from that singular place, to just let everything else drop, find where our center is with you, and then proceed again. Help us to do that. Whatever it takes, Lord. Make us willing, ready, and able to do what it takes to move in that direction. We love you, Father. We want to love you more each day. Thank you for loving us with everything that there is in you and never withholding a thing. We can only do this at all because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.